I'm Angela Kelly Robeck, host of the Empowered Principal Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Coming up on episode 97 of Podcast PD, we're talking about getting students involved in teacher professional development. When students are involved, the experience has greater traction and long-term impact. Let's start the show. This is Podcast PD, the show that provides you with anytime, anywhere professional development. Our conversations and guests will provide you with the learning you might get in a faculty meeting or on a PD day. Except you're going to have more fun with AJ Bianco, Stacey Lindis, and me, Chris Nessie. Let's start the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's me, Chris Nessie, at Mr. Nessie on Twitter, one of the co-hosts here on this fine podcast program, Podcast PD, and I'm joined, as always, as the weather gets nicer and the world is changing in ways we can't even begin to describe, I'm joined by my Podcast PD compadres, Stacy Lindis and AJ Bianco. Stacy Lindis, how are you? I am doing all right, Chris Nessie. Um, it's a good Sunday. You know, I just, Stacy, I just got to say, I got to cut you off real quick. Yeah. Never have you ever come onto this program and said, you know what? God, filth and foul and filth. I'm in this kind of filth and mood. I try to keep <laughs> it positive. You know, you do. Who needs more negativity? If you want negativity, watch the news, go listen to some other podcast. We're not here for the negativity. I'm not anyway. I can get negative, I can rant, and then I'm over it. But yeah. Podcast PD, we're not here for the negativity. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling old and, you know, I um, got my hair did this weekend and uh, it's probably going to turn white by the end of the month. Uh, if not by, my son started driving and uh, it's, it's a whole, like you said, it's a whole new ever-changing world and um, I'm literally there for the ride. As soon as he gets that actual permit, I will be there for the ride. But he has a couple Anywhere of days. Anywhere you want to go, he will, yeah. he will take you. He'll, That'll he'll, be nice. Yeah. I'll have a chauffeur. Now, I was going to say, at some point, you and your husband had to talk about when you had little baby children, like, one day they're going to drive us around. Like, and it's almost here. It's almost here. He's got, um, he has to wait until he goes back into school full, like in person because he, like you, like your kids, he, he doesn't return until the 19th, both of the boys. Um, but his, his, um, his road instructor said that he might just drop it off at the house, you know, since Sunday was the last day that he finished DMV's closed today. It's not feasible anyway, but, um, yeah, we're, we're one step closer and I think it's like 10 months before his birthday. Wow. And he'll be. That's exciting. It's exciting. It's exciting. Sure. Well, speaking <laughs> of the opposite of exciting, what's up, AJ? Oh, AJ's always excited. Oh, yeah. That's me, Mr. Excitement over here. We have the weirdest <laughs> intros to a podcast. The fact that people listen to this and just say, hey. I'll be back next again. time. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest the intros. Face. Yeah. I love the, the recordings. <laughs> weirdest intros. AJ, what's going on, man? You know, doing the Sunday thing. It's been a long week and weekend and no negativity. Just saying. 
It's been long, long. Oh, salami. <laughs> See, now we hear it. Uh, now you hear it. There you go. Chris is still in baseball mode. I, you know, it's always there. Opening day happened in the meantime, like since we last recorded, right? So it's been like two weeks. Yeah, that's come and gone. I know. That, yeah, just, that, that's old. It's been a while since we talked. It's been. That's true. It's, it is true. It, we don't want to talk about the Yankees, though. Guys, I knew it was opening day. Like I, I think I even reached out to you and said, "Happy opening, happy opening day." But I may not have. Maybe I did it in my head. I don't think so. You did. You did. You were you, Stacy. You head. were so knowledgeable about that. But I know all the positions. <laughs> Stop it. I used to be a baseball manager. Okay, you're the worst. Slash the best. I'm doing Slash good. Worst. I don't yeah, have any evidence. <laughs> I don't have any evidence to back that up, other than the fact that. I like to get on here with you guys, have some fun uh, for people who, for you who's listening on the podcast side. After the fact, we always have a good time here when we record on Sunday nights. We're joined by the awesome Shannon Moore and Dave Frangiosa in the house. By the way, AJ, Hello. you and Dave did an awesome episode of Reflect Ed and you did the giveaway and you did a whole bunch of awesome stuff with Dave. So that was really cool to see. I was in the running for the prize. I you did were. not win. Nope. I saw my name on the magic wheel. That was cool. But uh, thanks for watching. Props to you and Dave. Thanks for yeah, well. I saw it on the replay. I think it's more and, more props to Dave for giving up his book. Yeah, this one. Yeah, right props here. to Dave. Uh, AJ that, is holding gradeless. up Dave Frangios's book, "Going Gradeless." What's the subtitle? I cannot see that small. Going gradeless, shifting the focus to student learning, grade six to twelve. Awesome. And we of course are joined by uh, our awesome. Executive producer Stephanie Scrocky is in the house. So always nice when Stephanie Yay. comes and flexes her boss muscles in the chat. <laughs> Love it. Nice. So we're here for a fun episode because AJ, you shared an article with me, and then I made sure Stacy had it. And the title of the article, which came from Educational Leadership, which is, uh, I believe, an ASCD publication. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. You're correct. Okay. Uh, the title of the article was Students, the Missing Link in Teacher PD, authored by James Nagel and Penny Bishop. Uh, again, because we like to keep our nose above water here. Uh, this appeared in the February 2021 issue of the magazine, volume 78, issue five. And uh, there you go. So, AJ, Hello. why don't you start? You found the article. I read the article. And obviously... I'm going to shut up and you do what you do. Go ahead. I'm going to do what I do. All right. So I'm going to be 100% honest with you. This article is from the magazine, but it was shared with me uh, from by Dean and Chris from Unlock the Middle. Um, they sent me this article as a discussion point for something we were talking about. And I was all in for this article because, you know, as educators and as leaders, we continuously talk about the fact that we want to make PD relevant, right? We continuously say, we want professional development that's going to be something meaningful for our teachers and something they can bring forward to their classrooms the next day, right? It's always what we say when we get to these conferences and workshops and all that stuff. But I think we forget it's not us creating the PD for the teachers that's going to make it meaningful. It's creating the PD for the teachers that's going to help the students. And the only way we know what's going to help the students is when we include them. So this article is really focused, and this is where I love this so much, is focused on middle grades especially. But I think this is going to be used anywhere at any time, uh, elementary, high school, but specifically for the, uh, for the middle school. Uh, the article talks about a couple of ways that, that um, an institute, let me just get the name of it right, 
the Middle Grades Institute, which is based in Vermont, which is where the author Penny Bishop uh, is stationed out of, uh, basically has a conference in the summer for a couple of days where they invite teachers uh, and have the students from a variety of the schools in Vermont come and basically be involved in the discussions and roundtable discussions with teachers. Um, and it gives the, the students a voice and it gives the teachers a chance to talk to students to see what they would like and what they would feel comfortable with in their classroom. And the collaboration that takes place, uh, just from reading this article, really excites me and makes me really want to uh, dive in and start working with my students at the middle school level to figure out what they want from their teachers. And again, uh, there's, a, there's not just, hey, what do you want? Right. There's some guiding questions. There's some ways they get it started. And I really think that it makes students reflect on their education and what they actually need to have successful classrooms and engaging classrooms. It's not about video games, not about you know recess and no homework. It's really more about what kind of teaching they want to see and how students can really become the center of it instead of the teacher doing a lecture or examples like that. Now, have either of you had experience where you've received PD, where students were involved at any point in your careers? And what does it look like? Stacey, you're nodding your head, so go ahead. Yeah, so, um, you know, some ed camps have that that look, that, um, that you know, if they bring students into the ed camp, there, there have been instances. And then um, some of our district-level PD has included students. And it's interesting, AJ, that, this focuses so heavily on middle grades because that's where I do see um, a shift in giving kids some agency in their own learning, right? And letting them be, um, you know, as the article mentioned, the experts and share their expertise and their experiences um, in in a way that educators are learning from them and with them. And I think that that's really powerful. Um Usually, and I was reflecting on this as I was reading the article, like the stuff that I've seen has primarily been panel discussion, right? Or, um, you know, I've definitely been part of some some pieces where students were the leaders of all of the professional developments, sometimes with like mindfulness and SEL, um, where, you know, they go through some activities, um, all of it coming from training from the teacher and like a great deal of practice. But this sounded a little more authentic in a way that it was like these are genuine concerns that they have the students are are included because they bring not only their expertise but they also um really go out of their way in this article anyway to find students from diverse backgrounds right so whether it be students with low income students with insecure housing students who are um BIPOC or, you know, LGBTQ. And there was a big emphasis on making sure that those voices helped inform um, the narrative of of the middle grades experience. And I thought that that was really important because I, I feel like, you know, we know that we teach all of those students. We don't necessarily know who they are when they're sitting in front of us. And I think knowing that these kids are giving of their time and being putting themselves in a really vulnerable place where they are looking to make sure that they share with teachers their true experience. I think it's different than when, you know, a student leads you through different exercises and exercises and activities that they've, that they've practiced and rehearsed. This is less about rehearsal and more about genuine, thoughtful um, experience sharing. Mm-hmm. 
to me, it comes across as, and we've talked about this before, where there are way more students than teachers in education, right? They, they outnumber us. You know, they are our customer if we wanted to approach this, you know, in, in a business sense. And they don't often get a seat at the table where they can impact teacher practice or, you know, school leadership. And, and we often, I mean, we talk about, I don't mean the three of us, but we often talk about, you know, student voice, student agency, and, and how do we afford that to students? How do we empower students to have a voice in their learning and what's going on in their school and in their district? And, you know, I, I think the bigger lesson is, you know, it's the beginning of teaching them how to be active citizens. You know, if AJ and I want to put our social studies hats on, how do we get them to be active citizens and not passive, just life coming at you? How can you be a participant in, in what's going on? And where else are you going to have the opportunity to learn how to present your ideas beyond, you know, writing essays in English class or, you know, learning how to solve a problem in math? Why don't we actually listen to students and see what they have to say about solving real problems or informing teacher practice. It, it, it seems silly that we're even going to have this conversation in 2021 when, you know, this conversation has probably been had for many years and here we are trying to change the game and the game. I mean, it just goes to that bigger issue of education should be much different today than it actually is, but I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole here, but talking to students and getting them involved. Again, Stacey, I love that you brought up skits and I I've sat in that. That's been a majority of the experience I've had where you bring out some students, teachers get all excited that students are going to be talking. I mean, we could care less what administrators have to say when they stand in front of us, but you put a couple of 16 year olds on the stage in the auditorium and we're going to listen and we're going to applaud. And it's like, we, we, you know, manna coming from the heavens to impart knowledge on us in their experience. So we appreciate it as teachers, especially if you're the teacher who has taught that student or those students, and you're so proud that they're up there because somehow you think you played a role in that. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't even know they were going to show up. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's a good thing. AJ, what do you think? I think it's amazing when we think about schools. Um, We always have a student council and we always have the students represent their homeroom and supposed to be the ones who represent their classmate. But, you know, I can't speak for everybody because I don't know what everybody's school is doing, but how many of those kids are actually front and center every day, you know, making, making decisions for their, for their classmates. You know, we, we talk about creating surveys, but what are we creating the surveys for? Are we trying to get information or are we trying to validate our information? You know, I I think in education, we're, we're, we're very fearful of what our students are going to tell us, you know, you know, somebody said we are in the kid business, right? It is the kid business, but we don't really like to listen to them because we don't think they know as much as, as we know, you know, we've been, we're the teacher, we're the educator. We're the ones who, who, who know exactly what it's supposed to look like. But with, with, with our students, we really need to make sure that we're asking for their feedback. We're giving them surveys and we're using it to, to really mold our schools. Um, if we want students to come in every day and, and be excited about learning, then they have to be the ones who are standing there in front of us. You know, looking at kids when they come up to a faculty meeting or a board of ed meeting, go, oh, they're adorable. Look at them. They're dressed up so nice. And, you know, they're speaking so eloquently. Well, let them do that more. 
you know, put trust in them that they're going to do that and not just the fact that they can do it one time, you know, really, really go forward with our students. And in the chat here, I'm reading Shannon's comment, Chris, if you can throw that up there for the audience, you know, I really like what she has to say here. It connects kids to the school in a meaningful and enriching way, both for students and educators. It's a really gives a space to learn the skill of collaboration and processing. And I think that's really, I think it's really powerful connecting the kids to the school in a meaningful and enriching way. You know, we, we don't do that enough. We say we want our kids to be engaged, but what does engagement look like? Is it we want our students to be compliant and we want them to be engaged that way? Or are we actually letting them do more and be excited about what they put forward? And yeah, Dave and- uh, says in the chat, student voice has been the biggest influence on changes he's made in the classroom. Don't wait for the PDs. Uh, Dave says that he surveys them and he conferences with his students regularly and they have a lot to say if they feel valued. Not just, I, I'm, I'm going to add my thoughts on, onto Dave's like, it, it, kids aren't stupid. You know, it, if you just, you know, it's got to be authentic. It's got to be a genuine ask. You know, they, they know if you're just pretending to care what they think. If they don't think you care what they have to say, they're not going to give you the good stuff. The genuine and I think- meaning. And I think one of the ways to show them that you're listening and that you care and that their voice has meaning is to put some of what they're saying into practice, right? Like, so um, to Dave's point, like this year, as we started the whole virtual online and, and, you know, synchronous teaching, it was, it was really messy for me in math workshop. It's still a personal struggle that I have just with the content that I'm teaching, um, I just don't feel that I'm doing a good enough job. And this year especially made it that much worse because, I mean, we were as a grade level collaborating and sharing lessons really well in a way that like I've never worked on a grade level where so much thought went into, so much thought and effort went into making sure everyone was, you know, getting the things that they needed and that we weren't all recreating and, um, you know, reinventing the wheel. but because the lessons weren't my own and I'm still new to the content, I felt like I wasn't doing a great job. And I could tell some of my kids felt that way. So one day I literally stopped. I was like, guys, this feels bad. And I used that word. I was like, this feels bad. This feels icky. What would be better? And then like I did, I solicited their input and I was like, okay, that's what we're going to do. I was like, let's start this over. And you let me know how it goes compared to like yesterday and the beginning of today. And um, I think that um, one of the things that I really liked about the article was when they talked about the lesson planning and they talked about um, getting kids input in that. My question though is what does that really look like when kids don't necessarily know about the content? What they know is like how they like to learn, right? So like, is there input on the content or is there input on, um, on, you know, on, on the how and the methodology? So like, what are you guys thinking about that? And I can find the exact reaction, quote from the article if you want. My initial reaction would be I would be looking for students' input on the method. Because, you know, to some degree, I don't even have control of the content. I can't put control of the content necessarily in their hands. The, to, to some degree, I do, you know, with the way that, that I teach high school history as an example, where I don't just teach the things that I like. I give them opportunities to explore points in history where I'll give the umbrella topic and then I will let them find what's interesting to them, where I give some guidance to, to the, again, the, this broad topic 
and I'll let them go investigating and dig to find what's interesting to them. So it's not me saying, all right, learn this, learn this, learn this. Here's the vocabulary. Here's the definitions. Here's some true, false baloney or salami. And I don't have the button ready to go. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But uh, and, and I say both because Shannon also said both. But initially, I think it's more about how they like to learn. At some point, students should learn about how they learn. You know, are they auditory learners? Do they like to be hands-on? Are they more visual, uh, kinesthetic, if we want to throw out big, big fancy terms? Um, but that, that's my initial thought. Yeah. So, and, go ahead. No, go ahead, Stacey. No, AJ, I spoke a lot. I was just going to highlight what Stephanie was saying. So if you want to highlight what she's saying and then continue with. That's all right. Go ahead. So she just said, um, and Stephanie has third graders, but she said, my students had a hard time when I first asked for feedback. They were trying to say what they thought I wanted to hear. And I think that 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 is also brought up in the article is like looking for different methods to have people share their feedback. So I think panels are great, especially when they're not your students and when they come from a great cross section of of the student stakeholder population, right? But I think when you're looking for feedback from your kids, a survey would be best or like even like write it down, leave your name off and then, you know, just say like, this is what I'm hearing you say. Does anyone want to elaborate? Or, you know, can someone speak to how they think this person might be feeling that offered this this feedback? And then maybe you'll get that brave third grader who's going to say that was mine. Or you'll get that smart, intuitive third grader who's able to say, um, I think what that what that person means is, and while I may not feel that way, I have had conversations with others who have, you know, and I think that that's really helpful. What were you going to say, AJ? No, I was, was going to go back to the content again. And, and, you know, when I think about asking my students how they like to learn, it's not how they want to learn the content. It's really more about how they want to present it to me. And I think that's what it comes down to. And I think, Chris, I think that's what you were just saying. Um, however they learn it, they're going to, they're going to learn it in some way. Um, I, I don't even know the way I'd like to learn, you know, what works for me, what works for you. I, I don't know. But when it comes to putting something together, that's going to be successful. That's where I want to know where my students are going to find success. Right. If we're talking about strategies along those lines, that's where I, again, if I'm wrong, tell me you're off base, but things like choice boards mm-hmm. where you, the student get to choose how you want to show me what you know. You know, and, and I, one of the ways I do that when I give choice is I'll come up with ideas for projects and assignments. And then I will also always be sure to include, you know, if I have eight, there's always that ninth unwritten one of, if you've got a different idea or something that really speaks to you or a different way, you think you could show me what you know, then, then let's talk about that. And, and I've had students over the years who come up with projects that they tell me in one year, and then I can incorporate that in future years. And it's, it's like this ongoing thing where the, I, I do include their voice. Um, but I think uh, one thing I wanted to go back to before I lose it, um, Shannon made a point of saying in the chat, and thank you to Shannon for engaging. Uh, she says, I think releasing control is the battle. And honestly, I think some educators are afraid what students will share because it might illuminate discrepancies or half-heartedness in our approach. Wow. It's true. It's true. It's a control game. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no offense to present administrators on this live stream, but there are administrators who don't want to give up control to teachers. And there are teachers who don't want to give up control of their classrooms to their students. So there is this idea of who's in charge, you know, and in the classroom, it's you have teachers still today who it's my way, the highway, it's my classroom. 
what I say goes. And those are the teachers that are going to be less inclined to care about what kids think and how it can influence and impact their practice. Yeah, I think that there's, I and, and like you said, um, leadership in general, right? Like you have to be willing to take criticism, suggestion, and feedback that you're maybe not ready to hear. Um, and leadership means also just looking for others' wisdom to help inform your path, right? That's what being a leader is, is like knowing where you want to go, but listening to all stakeholders and how to get there, including parents, right? Like I always reach out to my parents at the beginning of the year and have them do their own little like um, survey about their kids and, you know, really what makes them tick the best way to kind of like connect with AJ and the best way to connect with Chris and, you know, um, what are your hopes and dreams for their academic and social year? You know, I think it's a big voice we leave out. I, I wonder what they're doing at the uh, at the college level. I wonder what's being taught um, when it comes to student voice. I, I wonder if it's a major topic that a lot of the professors are pushing. Um, because, again, when we get when we get new teachers into the buildings, you know, what do they focus on? When you when I came out, I focused on what I learned as a student teacher and what I learned as a student. And that's why I started my career as somebody who was doing lectures and sharing PowerPoints and using the textbook, answer these questions, and then we'll have a test on Friday. Um, it took me time to realize that, that doesn't work. So I really wonder what it is, what it is that's being pushed from the college level. Um, because I don't even think they want to take the risk of, of student choice. Because at a college level, that's totally control. That's totally just... Um, in I'll speak to that a little bit. So remember we had Luke, the student teacher. Yeah. Shout out to Luke. This semester, I have another student teacher, not the full five day a week kind. Uh, this gentleman comes in three days a week and our, the plan is he will be with me in the fall coming uh, the full five day. And so working with two student teachers, I see what their programs are telling them. In terms of, you know, timeline and what should they, what should they be focused on? And when they get to me, <laughs> I basically take all of that and I say, we're not doing that. We're throwing that out. We're, you know, I, I got a guy now who, you know, he's, he, he's in, he, he's the co-teacher. I'm doing the same thing again, where we haven't, we didn't tell the students, oh, this is Mr. Van S. He is at Rutgers. He's learning how to be a teacher. No, I'm not telling the kids that. I, again, that that's my choice, but he is, words are hard sometimes. I get excited about this. He comes in three days a week and he contributes. He leads, he plans lessons. We co-teach. It, it's, we are co-teaching. It's not Mr. Nessie's classroom and, oh, he happens to be here and he's just in my shadow. We're making a bigger shadow together and we're planning, we talk, we engage with the kids as best we can virtually, but I, everything he's doing at the college level, I'm just like, like we have conversations about, oh, what'd you do in your seminar this week? What what are the conversations? And what are you talking about with your, your peers? Like, I'm like, cause he's like, yeah, we have a group chat. We talk about what's going on, all our different experiences, which is great. So it's kind of like a little Ed Camp texting conversation. And I just keep telling him, well, here's the reality of what you just told me based on my experience. You know, and, and then he experiences it. So it's not like he's on, on the sideline watching, taking notes. 
like he's in it, he's experiencing it. And we talk every day that he comes in and we reflect on that, which they, he's not getting from the professors. Mm -hmm. It's still, let's talk about pedagogy based on what we're reading in this book or this article. Mm -hmm. And he's getting the practical hands-on, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire experience with me or whoever he would be with. Um, I just pat myself on the back and say, he's doing way more than everybody else who's going in two or three days a week right now. And when he comes in in September, he'll be teaching from day one, first day of school, as if it's his first day on his first job. Because like I did with Luke, my theory is if you do it once, then when you actually get to your first job on the first day and you're by yourself, you can do it because you've already done it. And Mm -hmm. there's no college prep program that's teaching them how to do that, especially when they tell them, oh, here's a schedule of when you should and how you should start to get involved, you know, plan a lesson, you know, maybe grade some assignments. And then you're six weeks into this 14 week experience. And oh, now you're going to start teaching. That's a waste of your time. Right. Because no one's handholding your, 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 no one's holding your hand the same way when you start on day one in your, in your own classroom. Right. And I remember right. being scared to death when I started teaching for the first time on my own. I was like, oh, they love me in charge of second graders. They're so trusting. <laughs> you know, and I well, had no idea. You know, I, I made that I made that point a couple of weeks ago or a few episodes ago where this profession, you get hired based on all the wonderful potential you have to do your job. And then you spend the rest of your career being evaluated on what you did wrong. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and it's it's so, very valid. So I don't know where we're going with this. <laughs> but that's <laughs> certainly the college perspective. I see it. And say, so you I feel like you should before. Yeah. I feel like you should write an article about your methodology for student teaching, because I think that that's really valuable. And, you know, I have had student teachers in the past and the three that I've had, like you, I had two who came in part-time. Um, I believe it was their JPE experience, junior practicum experience. And they Thank were amazing. Acronym. <laughs> they were truly, truly amazing. They were there for everything and they were sponges and they were in an amazing cohort of um, young pre-service teachers who really had their heads on straight and got involved. Some of them are teaching in my district and I just remember them from being in the building. Um, Their cohort was that memorable. And then the the next um, marking period or the next semester, I got a full-term student teacher and I've never had a student teacher since. Now, now, that is not to say that it was just that experience. I left the classroom right after that. Um, but we did not see eye, in, eye to eye. And there were definitely, and I definitely didn't do it the way you did, um, Chris. And we'll, and I will never have a student teacher again, either because my, my school does not allow for student teaching because of the requirements that New Jersey has put on its pre-service teachers to videotape. It's considered in my district a privacy infringement. And so... There, there are no senior year student teaching experiences offered in my district. And I get it. And, um, but, you know, we, we didn't see eye to eye. There were definitely some, you know, even in this case, some pieces of feedback that, you know, I tried to give her and I would just say, like, look at them. Like, does it feel like they've, they've grasped this or, you know, work on this and she didn't want to hear it. So I don't know. I mean, I, I too wonder And I know from experience that elementary education, you know, it's not just here's your content area stuff and your methodology courses like it is at at the middle and high school level. But um, because you have to know how to teach everything 
right? So you get right. like but, some slap shot. What you're getting and, into, Stacey, is the art of teaching. Whether right. you're elementary, middle, or secondary, you know, you come in, you've got the content knowledge. And again, I, I'm, I don't mean this. I hope this doesn't insult any elementary school educator out there, but anybody who has the ability to teach, okay, should be able to teach elementary grades, right? If you have the ability to teach and work with that age group, with, with the proper training of the age group, because the content knowledge you should be pretty good on in terms of like, I should be able to walk in and teach first graders a math lesson right? Because I should know what the math concept is. I may not agree with the Chicago or fill in whatever the math program is, but I should be able to convey the content. Now, I don't do that because I don't want to work with that particular age group, right? So my art of teaching and my style of teaching lends itself to a certain age group, high school, college, right? So somebody coming in, they've got the content. They need to learn how to teach, yeah, but that's not always true because, and I don't know how many elementary um, like viewers we have right now, but I know for my, like you said, fill in the blank, whatever math program, that's the problem. I could go teach in my district and it's fill in the blank math program. My son is in a different district and it's fill in a blank, different math program. And it's completely different. Right. And, and the biggest struggle I think that came from the program that I was in years and years ago at TCNJ, which is, you know, one of the, the um, premier teaching schools in the state is that, um, you know, nobody felt like they left our reading program. And I think we had a minimum of three reading classes, if not four, no one felt like they were prepared to teach reading in their current district because everyone's reading program is different. And so that's where district level PD becomes important. And then that's where, you know, I, you know, one thing that we do is we do have a set, a set program that we use. We use Teachers College, right? And one of the great things that we do going back to the article is we do work with students in our lab settings, right? Or we did when we were in person and, and, you know, pre COVID. And, you know, I would have five or six educators come into my room in an afternoon and they would work with my kids doing what they had just been instructed on in like the hour to hour and a half prior to coming into my room. So like if, if it was, it was like, you know, we're going to practice this and then we're going to put it into practice and then we're going to debrief what that looks like. And there's something to be said for that too, because I think when we have any PD and it's in a bubble that doesn't focus on kids at all, right? Whether it be science, math, social studies, or reading, then I think that we are doing a disservice to kids, right? But I think um, at the elementary level, it is hard to have kids be part of the professional development because how much information are they going to be able to give you? Which is why I think this focus so heavily on middle grades. And I think that that is the right place, right? That's where um, the autonomy in their learning really becomes ever present. That's where they are beginning to figure out the metacognition and how they learn best. And they're able to articulate how it all works well. And I think that this is when you want to involve kids in that type of learning. And, you know, I teach, I teach fifth grade. So we're on that cusp, right? Like some schools consider that middle grades. It's not necessarily a middle school grade in my district, but it's part of, you know, um, Amley and it's part of most middle grade, like from 10 up 
right? 10 to at the end of eighth grade, what's that, 14? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a very formative four years where you can, five years where you can kind of get into the minds of kids and they can help shape the learning that's taking place in your classroom. Well, let me ask this because I'm sure we have elementary school teachers below grade five who listen to this podcast who might be thinking, or they might even be thinking, wait, we, we can do this. But between the three of us, what could we learn as teachers from a kindergarten through third or fourth grade student about our practice? What could they, I mean, let, let, can we spitball a little bit? I don't know. I can speak to that. So my district um, early on, and when I was a coach, I love that they did this, but like they started reframing some of their new teacher um, professional development. And part of it included middle school and high school teachers crossing into an elementary setting and looking at kindergarten and first grade and just seeing how much independence those kids have. And like, you know, like you would be able to walk into my first grade class when I taught first grade and my kids were doing everything that they needed to do. And if I was like sitting, tying a kid's shoe or helping him like unstick his zipper on his jacket, they were all doing what they needed to do because it was a well-oiled machine. And I think that like, it was very valuable for upper grades to see the work and the level of attention in making kids independent that takes place K-5. And the reverse is also true. Those K-5 teachers went into the middle school and high schools to kind of just see, you know, what their kids are aspiring to, like what it will look like. And there's something to be said about knowing where kids come from and where they're headed. So it isn't necessarily kids teaching in the professional development world or in a professional development um, session, but there's something to be said from learning from just watching kids. Stephanie added in the chat live on uh, YouTube, podcastpd.com slash YouTube. I also think, though we need to allow students an opportunity to start giving feedback earlier on, so when they are at the middle grades, they are comfortable giving honest feedback. I think that's a good point. So maybe it's not el- smaller, younger students informing entire school districts and entire elementary schools, but you as the second grade teacher, how can you get something and get feedback from your students in your class to inform your practice, to teach them the skill of giving feedback and having an opinion and being able to justify their point of view while still developing? How can we start to teach that skill? So maybe it's not district-wide, but it's just in your classroom as the elementary school teacher. Does does that, am I on the right track there, Stace? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if you look at the article, um, it wasn't part of what what Penny and is it James? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't part of what they wrote in their article, but it was the little blurb at the bottom where they interviewed two students to get their perspective on what it felt like to be put into that situation. And I thought that that was really um, interesting to see and hear how they framed it. And, you know, one of the girls said, you need to listen, 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 um, and have an open mind is what the other student shared. So if you're going to solicit input from students, then you need to go into it with a growth mindset and be ready to hear some really challenging, difficult things and put it into practice. Yeah, Stacey, Actually, going, going, you just said there. Go ahead, AJ. I'm sorry. Sorry. No, going, going with that. I think it was really important. You know, when you look at the article, that last piece at the bottom there, student perspectives on student-led PD, the, the questions they asked, one of the questions was asked to the students, why did you want, to, oh, sorry, 
what did you want teachers to take away from your presentation? And the student just straight up said, they aren't bad teachers, but not every student learns the same way. Every student has likes and dislikes. Every student has their best way of learning and not so best way of learning. And to basically just get to know each one of your students as best as you can, making a relationship with students makes stuff a lot easier for both sides. So I, I really think that you know, when we put it out there, we, we're going to get the feedback from students. It's not just, hey, you're doing a bad job. You know, it's really the fact that, hey, you have a lot of students in this class and we're all very different. And, and I think that um, I think we really can. I, I think it's a culture thing. You know, uh, mm-hmm. let's go with that. You were talking about classrooms and, and all. I think it's a culture thing. And I think, you know, having students buy into the fact that I'm going to rely on you to give me feedback. I need you to tell me how to make this better. You know, that that's going to start day one from the leadership role down to the staff, down to the students. And that's how we're going to make things better. If we're just going to keep saying, you know, oh, we want your opinion and then do nothing with it, it's not going to work. So we really need to make sure that, that the whole, whole climate and culture is understood that I am part of this school and it's going to improve based on what I say and what I do each and every day. And middle school is a great time for them to take what they've learned from elementary school and what they know about themselves and, you know, having teachers and then applying it to a setting where, especially if they're team-based, right? If it's, a, if it's a true middle school team-based situation, kind of putting it into practice with four, maybe five teachers in a given day and kind of learning the norms of each classroom. But having that safety net of like, yeah, my teacher's going to listen to me. And if I fail here, at least they're, they're not going to let me fail and fall flat, you know? Um, Right. In in helping to create their own learning plan, because that was part of the conversation or helping to create the curriculum or giving feedback. Right. Um, I think that there's a lot to be said in doing it in a, and and creating a, an environment that is safe and mm-hmm. and honors student voice in a way where everyone feels comfortable to give their feedback. So, Stacey, I'm curious about something and, yep. and, and I'm not trying to this is not a knock in any yeah, way, shape or form. You're, you're a fifth grade teacher right now mm-hmm. and your fifth grade is an elementary. Yep. How different do you think your fifth grade classroom is than one of my teacher's fifth grade classrooms at a middle school? I don't know because I don't know what it looks like in your building. And, you know, my fifth grade classroom probably looks very different from the fifth grade classroom right across the hallway, you know? Right. No, I understand that. But do you, AJ, do you are you treat, getting more at the, like, that, are like, you teamed? As, we are teamed. Yeah. We, 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 we do have teams. So that was my student teaching experience. Um, and it did not serve me as a teacher who was having a student teaching experience only because when I went into the world of like interviews, I could only speak to science and math, which is what I taught as a student teacher. Right. And then my experience for reading, writing and social studies was limited to about two weeks in the in the partner teacher's classroom. Um I think it's a very different experience, right? Because we, and we've talked about this, I believe here where we talked about whole child, every child, right. And we mm-hmm. talked about how, like as an elementary educator, I never really understood why my district went out of their way to have this whole child, every child. I was like, I don't get it. I know my whole kid, right? Like I know that, I mean, we're, ch- we're sharing about a student who's not coming to school tomorrow because of allergies. I also know he has a dog and I'm thinking like he shared that he has allergies. I wasn't surprised that he's not right. It's like, so I know a lot about him outside of school. I know a lot about him in school. And I think it's because I get to have six plus hours with him and it's just me. I'm not sharing him with another teacher. Mm-hmm. Right. And 
I'm not the teacher of math, science, and social studies, or you know what I mean? Like I'm the teacher of all the subjects. So then I also get to know them in all the areas, right? And so one thing that I didn't understand is that that's not always true for all middle school and high school students or teachers, right? Like Mm -hmm. for some educators at those levels, and I'm not going to say everyone because I know that it's not true having worked in a middle school, um, but for some, their content is is the ruling factor in their classroom, right? So like they teach math to students. They don't teach students math, Hmm. right? So, and I think that there's a difference, right? Like I know my content really well and my students are secondary. Whereas like when you teach students math, you know your students really well and then you're able to differentiate and create lessons that reach all of your students who are learning math with you. But I can't really speak to what, you know, like your teachers, I think, is it two two people per team? Yeah. And is it completely split down the middle? No, we well, for our fifth grade, we have actually three teams. No, I mean, so like if I were teaming with Chris, yeah. do we teach? Do I teach reading and writing, and he teaches math and science and social? Like, what does that look like? No, what does the split look like? ELA social studies, math science. ELA social studies, math science. Right. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. Mm-hmm. So um, in my building, we have some teachers who partner, but they only switch for science and social studies. Right. So like I might be the teacher who teaches student science and then my partner teacher might teach my students social studies as well as her her students. But that's not always the case. like I'm I'm, cons- you know, I'm considered um, a self-contained classroom and that my kids don't leave unless they have something else to leave for. Gotcha. I don't think I asked my question. Well, I think I, I guess what I should have asked is, are your students do you focus your students more as elementary students or do you see yourself or see your students more as technically middle school students? Like, I guess the, what's the behavior, what's the mentality? Right. No, I get it now. So I'm going to say um, that I treat them probably as elementary students. Got it. But I also think that my three years at the middle school gave me some insight in how to kind of release some of that Mm -hmm. and not treat them like I probably would have had I not had that middle school experience, if that makes sense. It makes sense. Because like my last assignment before fifth grade was first. Mm -hmm. So like I'm teaching babies and now I'm Mm -hmm. teaching like the higher end of elementary. Right. But that middle school experience kind of just opened things up and like I know where they're headed and I know the level of independence that they need. But I also do like to keep them a little... um, little i don't know i want yeah. to i want to honor the fact that for, like this is it they're yep. this is their last year mm-hmm. in an elementary school it's almost so like a slightly protected bubble got it Understood. i think i interpreted where you were going with that completely differently age i thought you were going to be asking <laughs> you know is is there a big difference between fifth graders where the school is k to five versus being in fifth grade in a five six seven eight school right it's kind of where we're going yeah, where fifth grade is like in one scenario, they are the big dogs of the school because they're mm-hmm. the biggest kids there yep. versus I'm sure AJ in your school, you look at the fifth grade and you're like, who are these little babies amongst, right. you know, the giant eighth graders and the seventh it's, graders? It's funny watching fifth graders and eighth graders walk out to the buses every day. I'm like, oh, oh my God, that's huge. It's <laughs> a big difference. Yeah. yeah. And and I think the difference, too, is that my district is like my building is a three, four, five building. And mm-hmm. historically, we've been a four five level. And we just happen to have third graders in our building because of some craziness. But 
but yeah, I mean, just seeing the third graders, I see that difference, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, they're little. Those, those are the people that will never be taller yeah. than me by the end of the year. <laughs> That's why she likes them. No. That's why I love them. <laughs> and Monica makes a great point in the chat. She made her way over from uh, Periscope to YouTube uh, that Stacy, you are tucking them under your wing when needed. I am, but I also give them some hope that like the goofiness and the childishness that they can experience in fifth grade is still honored by some of their their middle school teachers. Like some of them are just as goofy, if not goofier, right? Because now they get to be like the science teacher who's like nerdy about science and just nerdy in general, but also like cool, right? And like, they, and there's, I love that piece of it. Like, I love knowing that like, Going to sixth grade doesn't mean that you need to put on this hat and like be like a serious middle schooler. And I like to be able to tell them that because I've worked with their teachers like they're goofy as all get out, you know, some of them. Well, I think that's something that we typically do where elementary school teachers will say your middle school teacher isn't going to care about fill in black A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then the middle school teacher says, when you get to high school, they're not going to care. And then the high schooler who you know when you get to college this is not going to fly blah, blah, blah. and then you get to college and like you walk in and like i'm your professor <laughs> Where, and i guess that's my point like chris could be your professor he could also be your high school teacher yes. and he's goofier than i am sometimes just saying yeah but you do rock the wonder woman chuck taylor's i got my wonder woman shirt on today there you go wonder woman, wonder woman. <laughs> um well this has been fun I think uh, another episode of us scratching the surface and digging a little deeper on something. Yeah, I think people just need to kind of think about how do they give kids a voice in their day-to-day instruction? Mm-hmm. Does it have to be as formal as this article? I don't think it can be. And not at first glance. Like, So that's what I like, too, is that the article kind of leads you through, like, if you're starting, start here. Um, it doesn't say explicitly like that, but there is definitely like an entry-level getting your kids feedback to your instruction and then like a more elevated advance, which would be the curriculum frame framing. But see here, here, here's the weird thing. And this is not a knock on the article, but I think the most important parts of this piece are the last part of the article where it says, here's the student perspective on student led PD, where we hear from a couple of students talking about this entire thing, which I think is important. And it closes out with uh, the last question asked of a couple of students who shared their thoughts. The question was, what advice would you give to teachers attending a student led PD session? And one person, the initials ZG says that teachers should keep an open mind by fully considering the information brought to them by students. They can get a better grasp on what needs to change within their own classroom. So I interpret that as a student saying, Hey, teacher, you tell me to have a growth mindset and be open-minded. You better do the same thing mm. in your professional learning. Thank you, student. And, and there's then so the last much person says, Yes. And the last person says, listen, listen, listen. Take a step back and let students teach you something that you can take away for the long run. Remember, students have a mind too. And just like teachers, we want a peaceful and positive environment. Student and that growth mindset right there. That growth mindset is so um, important going in with a very open mind because, I mean, you, you guys are like me. You've all been in that PD world. You know what it's like when like someone comes in and they don't want to be part of your PD. They don't find it valuable or they're afraid of what you're teaching them. 
And I've had, I literally had a teacher tell me, um, yeah, I, I don't do the technology thing. Um, so you'll never hear from me. And I was like, what if like one of your students came in and said, yeah, I don't do the social studies thing. So I'm just going to go sit back here, put my head down and like play on my phone. What? Like, I don't know that, that always just kind of shook me, but maybe adding kids to it, adding kids to tech training was actually really helpful. We have done that in the past where like they've come and just kind of helped with a couple of things, but I'm just remembering that now. Any final thoughts, AJ, about this topic since you brought it to us? No, I'm just, you know, I, I appreciate the point of view and I appreciate everybody's comments that were in the chat tonight and something I'm definitely going to dive into forward is why, why I brought this up. When I read this article, you know, it's something I was thinking, why can't it be more like this in my school? Why can't I have more advisory councils or, or more meetings with students that where adults are not present you know, so they don't get intimidated. You know, I, I, th- I think we need to really start trusting students more. I said it before. I think it's about really getting them comfortable and understanding how they can give feedback and not just giving feedback because that's what we want to hear. Mm-hmm. So, AJ, real quick, um, like to Chris's point, you know, this is something that that you brought. What is your plan going forward? Are you looking to implement this um, in a very like purposeful way? Like, will mm-hmm. this be intentional yeah, sh- like how are, how are you going forward with this article with your staff so with my staff nothing yet but with okay. with the students it's more i'm looking to change a i guess we'll call it a pbis program that was in place in in previous years i need, um, I need to know what those letters mean positive behavior intervention thank you no problem um so i'm looking to change that something that was there that that worked but didn't work it worked for the lower grades, didn't work for the upper grades. So I'm trying to figure out a plan that we can have this positive, I don't think it's behavior, but positive behavior where students are recognized for the good things they do. And it's called, it was called the pat on the back program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids were recognized for doing something good, but it was good for fifth graders and sixth graders. For eighth graders and seventh graders, they were too cool for that and didn't want to be part of it. So I'm trying to figure out based on student uh, information, you know, their thoughts on, especially the eighth grade right now, why didn't it work? What would they want to do differently? And I'd like to really talk to our student council and kind of see where we can go forward with some ideas that I have had, you know, kind of marinating for a little while. So if you're out there and you use something that's PBIS related, please, please reach out to me, AJ Bianco on Twitter. Uh, send me a DM that you heard it on podcast PD. And I really would like to have a conversation because I'm really, really, really looking to make this my action research project for next year going forward, making positive behavior and recognition, something serious in our school. That's, that's, that's good. And not just because we have to. Have you done any looking at, um, I know this is not topic related and if we want to end this and talk about this after that's fine too. But like, um, you know, like some of the oh, what is I I could see it in my head and I knew what it was and now never mind we'll move on Chris you can cut that we're at nine thirty one <laughs> snip 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 not snipping it's okay it's all we're authentic here we're an hour and um, you can cut that part right out okay so what we'll do is if you have thoughts on this you know again reach out to AJ he's asking for the feedback and uh, if you want to share your thoughts you know email us feedback at podcastpd.com. reach out to us all. 
uh, on the socials. We're at Podcast PD everywhere, at Mr. Nessie, at Stacey Lindis. And we would love to know your thoughts. If you're doing this, what's working? What hasn't worked? How can you help us all grow? And, you know, we'll take your ideas and we'll we'll share them. Uh, and if it's not working, maybe through conversation, we can kind of figure it out together. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Do you get value from these conversations here on Podcast PD? Did you ever wonder if there was a way to support stuff? What are you laughing at? To support our efforts in creating this podcast for you? Well, you can support the show on a monthly or yearly basis. You can go to podcastpd.com slash executive producer and you can support the show. As a thank you, every executive producer will receive a Podcast PD sticker. And if you support us on a yearly basis, we will send you a Podcast PD mug and a Podcast PD t-shirt. Thank you to our executive producers, Adam Kelly, Mike Brilla, Stephanie Scrocky, and Sandy Hartman. Thank you so much. Without you guys, the show wouldn't be what it is. So thanks. What did I miss? Now, now before we go, AJ was thrown off by music and techno hip hop and me throwing in executive producer stuff. But before we go, this is definitely for the hardcore podcast PD listener. We're recording this on April 11th, 2021. And tomorrow, April 12th, is the, let me see if I can get this right. What is 21 minus 15, Stacy, who teaches fifth grade? It's six years. It's our six-year anniversary. It's our six-year anniversary. Six years ago tomorrow, Stacy released a blog post that no longer exists, uh, but it was about Podcast PD and a series on exploring the infinite potential of listening to podcasts. So we're having a birthday, this little Podcast PD thing, Stacy. Thank you for creating it. Yeah. And I never forget the anniversary. I forget what year we started, but I don't forget the anniversary because it's also my sister's birthday tomorrow. So the teaching sister who's never been on the podcast. Yeah, she refused. I asked her. (laughs) Really? She did. Does she listen? Um, I don't know. Maybe once or twice. All right. Like one of those things that I don't talk about with my family. That's true. We'll forget her for a second. We're having a birthday. (laughs) We're six. Guys, we're first graders now. And at times it feels like we actually are in first grade. Mm. <laughs> True story. Or we're so, the older end of kindergarten. Yeah, we're the, we're the older end. Uh, if you want to learn more about how this all came to be, go podcastpd.com slash one, the number one. And that's when we relaunched the podcast or as a podcast back on January 31st, 2017. And that, episode was titled how we learn and welcome back because we did this as a chat we did it as blabby live streams and here we are 97 episodes in the march to 100 continues and uh i don't know i wouldn't be nearly as awesome as as i am without the two of you so happy anniversary guys you too i would not have a podcast without you there wouldn't have been a twitter chat podcast pd would not exist without the two of you hashtag would be there now it's just better. I don't know that it would be. I don't know that I would put it out there. I'm barely on Twitter. You know. But we are on Clubhouse, so you can join us on Clubhouse tomorrow morning at 7.30. No, that's not right. At that's 7 right. o'clock. 7. 7 a.m. At 7 o'clock. Mondays and Fridays. 
Mondays and Fridays. Tomorrow we talk about all things positive, Monday motivation, and Friday we reflect on the week and look forward to the weekend. So join us at 7 o'clock Eastern time tomorrow morning or all Mondays and all Fridays. Some of us. And I'll be in the car. Apologize. I'll be in the car or I'll be at school depending on when I leave. So there you go. Uh, I'll be thinking we will of you be guys. live. You'll be thinking of us. Yeah. Sorry. Over your coffee. <laughs> I'll be thinking of um, you. We will be live again on Sunday, April 25th, 2021. Stacy has presented another awesome topic that we will be happy to share with you when we go live next time. Uh, before we go, again, if you want to uh, connect with us in another more updated modern way, we'll text you. So you can text at podcast PD to 81010. And our texting community is powered by Remind. So send a message to at podcast PD to 81010. And you get little updates. We're not going to spam you, but we do want to have a textual relationship with you because we like you. So, so dirty. There you go. Text us and we'll text you sometimes. Stacy, wave your wand. All right, I'm going to wave my wand. Say goodnight, Christopher. Good night, Christopher. Say goodnight, AJ. Good night, AJ. Good night, Podcast PD. Thank you for checking out this episode of Podcast PD. For links to everything that we discussed in this episode, you can visit the show notes at our website, podcastpd.com. To connect with the show on social media, we are at Podcast PD on Instagram and Twitter, and we share using the hashtag Podcast PD. To connect with Stacy, AJ, and myself, we are on Twitter at Mr. Nessie, at Stacy Lindis, and at AJ Bianco. We would love to hear from you, so please go to podcastpd.com slash feedback and send us an email, send us a voice message, whatever you need to do. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you share it with somebody that you think would get value from it. Word of mouth is the best way to share a podcast you enjoy, and we hope you enjoyed Podcast PD. We appreciate you listening, we appreciate your sharing, and we love creating this podcast for you. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care.